Welcome to the Free Birth Society podcast. This is a radical space for women who are ready to celebrate their autonomous choices in birth, motherhood, and beyond. Together, we'll learn about wild birth through personal narrative, we'll explore the politics of birth, and we'll analyze everything that relates to our lives as women from a feminist perspective. Here's your host, Emily Saldea. It's been a wild freedom Hello, women. Wow, I'm so happy to be back with you all again. Welcome, welcome to season six. Returning to this podcast season after season is such a fun part of my life, and I'm just in a constant state of awe watching the impact of these stories as they spread across our beautiful planet and throughout womankind. Every day, I'm reminded of how women's stories have the power to change the lives for so many other women and their families. So thank you. Thank you for being here with me. The tides are truly shifting for the better. I see it. I'll share a quick life update with you before we dive into our first episode of our sixth season. So since you last heard from me back in May, it's been pretty nonstop over here. I know I say that all the time. The second annual Matriarch Rising Festival over summer solstice was bigger and better than the year prior, and I got to experience it while being so very pregnant. It's pretty surreal to me that next year I'll have a baby in my arms the next time we all gather. Our staff size doubled, so it made the whole thing just so much easier, and there were so many highlights, but one of them was... Uh, laying in bed on Wednesday, the day before we DJed, and Hannah Grace and I learning how to DJ (laughs) Uh, the whole day, and then headlining the last night of the party of the festival as a DJ duo that we call Moonlit Yoni. It was really, really fun. And watching my mom and my sister experience the festival with so much joy and integration and, of course, meeting so many women that I've known from online in real life, it was all just, it's such a dream. The families that live around us have been settling into this sweet little community that we are co-creating here, and it feels so good to have my sisters around me, supporting me and my family during this pregnancy. And don't worry, you'll get to hear all about my birth later in the season, however it manifests, as well as a 40-week wrap-up with my husband, Johnny. We're going to do that again like we did with our first daughter. My daughter, speaking of her, Sunie, is in such a sweet phase of life and is just so excited to meet her little baby. She's actually asked to handle all of the maternal duties except for breastfeeding, Life with her just keeps getting better and better, and we recently brought her back to Hawaii where she was born as a last trip, just the three of us. It was so special to show her the house that she was born in, the mountains where her placenta was buried, and just to soak in the last moments of her as our only kid. 
The Free Birth Society private online membership continues to grow, and that's where I spend most of my online time these days. We have 12 online circles and workshops every month, a bustling community forum, a member directory for easy offline connection, and the exclusive Radical Birthkeeper directory. So if you align with the values of Free Birth Society and are looking for women near you who do as well, head over to the link in the show notes and apply to join. And the Radical Birthkeeper School begins again February 1st, 2023. I've been dropping hints all year about the big makeover that we're giving the program, and I'm about to reveal it very, very soon. So stay tuned. Enrollment will open this fall, and I'm really excited. Okay, so for today's episode, it seems so fitting that we would open up with Arielle's birth story as she's one of my very best friends and the first woman in our crew to birth in our little town. So you might remember her from her episode on herbalism here on the podcast, and today Arielle shares her journey from a manufactured emergency C-section to her simple, perfect, community-supported free birth. I am Emily Saldea, and this is the Free Birth Society Podcast, Season 6. Enjoy. Welcome women. Welcome to season six. We are opening up season six with my best friend, Arielle Martinez. Hi. Hi. (laughs) This is something we've never done before, uh, where we are going to obviously do this together and share a mic. So we'll see how that goes. But Arielle is here for another week. And so we thought it would be fun to get this episode done in person. Okay, so you might be familiar with Arielle if you follow me on Instagram because we shared a lot about her postpartum um, and her F back, the free birth after C-section. So yeah, just kick us off with your first story with your daughter, who is my daughter's best friend. So cute and sad story though. So tell us about kind of what your what your vision was, what you thought you were signing up for, and then um, obviously into what goes down. And then I really want you to spend some time on at least the fourth trimester and what that was like for you, because you had a very average experience, right? For a North American woman. Um, and it was horrible, right? But did you even know it was horrible? Not at the time. Right. That's so Mm -hmm. interesting. Okay. So yeah, take it away. Yeah. Well, I'm definitely, I'm so happy that we're doing this in person together. So I just want to say that before it feels appropriate with our stories. I became pregnant with my daughter when I was 26 and I hadn't ever really thought about birth at all. Um, I grew up hearing stories, horror stories from my mom and my aunties and just, you know, the general horror stories that we hear, you know, episiotomies, abuse, but it was obviously very talked about, like it was normal. After I became pregnant and I realized that I was going to have to give birth, I, I felt a lot of fear, you know, I really didn't want that, this experiences of the women in my family to be my own. And so I, I thought I put a lot of work into setting that up. So it wouldn't happen. What'd that Um, look like? It looked like leaving my OB at 
around 16 weeks pregnant, transferring to a certified uh, midwife's care in a hospital setting, um, you know, taking all the right courses and, you know, listening to all the right podcasts about how to like get your natural birth in the hospital mm, Lies really, you know, and I, I had really deluded myself into thinking mm. that I was going to be the exception to the rule, which, yeah. you know, I see and hear from so many women, you know, I was a very healthy, active woman who didn't have any health issues. You know, I had all these reasons of why I was going to mm-hmm. be the exception and I'm, I'm pretty assertive and I knew I could advocate for myself pretty well. And so I didn't think I was going to be like the women of this other stories I've heard. And, you know, I'm sure it's really easy every time you hear a story, you know, a bad birth story in the hospital, it's really easy to be like, oh, well, you should have done this or mm-hmm. you should have done that. And that was kind of the mindset I had. Mm-hmm. And your midwife said this wouldn't happen. Yeah. You know? Yeah. My midwife looked at me in the eyes and said, you will not have a C-section. Spoiler I'm- alert. I did. She did. Yeah. Well, how do they live with themselves? Yeah. I don't know. There's a lot of disassociation, I think. It's so dark. But I had an I had an ironclad birth plan, you know. Um at the top of my birth plan, I wrote, I expect informed consent at all times. Um, you know, da da da. I had like all these disclaimers on it. It mm. was very thorough. We looked over it together, me and my midwife and talked about it, and she was so on board, like they always are. Um, and then at 40 past 41 weeks, you know, I had to get that mandatory ultrasound and stress test and, um, non-stress test, non-stress test. Yeah. And ST. Yeah. And the ultrasound review revealed that from her perception or what we could see by the ultrasound that there was less amniotic fluid in there than my midwife was comfortable with. And this is kind of the turning point of my story. So I've thought about it a lot and I, think the appropriate thing to would have done been done if I was seeking a wise woman's care would have been to be like hey when was the last time that you drank water how are you feeling what's your stress level you know your past 41 weeks it's your first pregnancy like tell me what's going on well yes and but but that is that is on the the precedent that that was even accurate right that oh 1000 you know what yes, I mean yes like because it wasn't yeah and no one even knows what what fluid even is yeah you know yeah. like it, yeah. yeah so yes yes yeah. but I think even one layer deeper of course it's nonsense yeah. it shouldn't have even have been something that was pathologized in the first place but if you are going to be with a medical provider they know that it's the baby's urine they know that it's mm-hmm. even if they believe the lie of the ultrasound it is most likely dehydration and unless your baby has like a serious kidney issue issue yeah. which is super rare it's going to be just drink water. Yeah. Right. But yeah. then they can't convince you. Yeah. Into that having your induction. Yeah. <clears throat> but, and I, and like, I hadn't drank water since the night before and it was like a 1 PM appointment. So like, of course I was dehydrated. Um, but instead she said, well, if I let you, if I let you go longer, um, and you come back and your fluids lower, then I'm going to transfer you to a high risk OB and he will induce you and you'll probably have a C-section. So I would recommend induction today. And so I was like, well, of course I'm going to risk induction with you versus induction. Oh, if this is my story, that's what I'm going to do. You know? And it feels like choice. It, feel, it felt like a choice. Yeah. And of course I was impatient. I was, you know, 
in the window, the veil was thin. I was already under a lot of right. influence. Yeah. Ugh. So, and the funny thing about it, even more indicative of like, if we're going to pathologize the dehydration, like my stress test, I was having consistent contractions during my stress test. Um, everything pointed to dehydration. Like as soon as they put fluids in me at the hospital, my contractions stopped. Well, that's what I was just going to say is even in that paradigm, you know, the argument would be just give you fluids. Yeah. Like that's still nonsense and not what the response should be, but even in that paradigm, just give you fluids then. Right. So but it's not about that. Yeah. It's just smoke and mirrors. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Um, so did you go right over or like, did you go home? Pack I a bag? went home. I stopped at the chiropractor, got an adjustment because I was very, you know, I was going to control everything to set myself up for my perfect unicorn hospital birth. So I went Your unicorn in. induction. Yeah. My unicorn induction. Aww. I revised my birth plan for it to allow for Pitocin, Aww, you know, that's so sad. Um, and I, yeah, I just, I went home, packed a bag, whatever. We went to the hospital. How nervous were you? This is a big deal. Like, were you worried about Luna with no. the low fluid no. nonsense? No, no, I wasn't nervous. <laughs> That's the funny thing is I wasn't nervous about it at all. I was just my feeling of like impatience mm. um, because here's, here's what I should actually preface now is that I was self-employed and I had a story in my head that I could only take six weeks of maternity leave. And I started that at 40 weeks. So at that point, I really set myself up for a lot of sabotage because every day past 40 weeks that I went, I was, that was one day less I would have to spend with my baby. And so I really wanted to have a baby sooner than later. So many women deal with that. Yeah. And that was, that was what I felt. I've been with women back when I was a doula who were on such a tight, mat leave schedule they would schedule their c-sections to optimize their time with their babies Mm -hmm. how dark is that yeah like because it's well intended Mm -hmm. from the mother I didn't have a boss telling me I could only take six weeks that was myself culturally yeah it's not like you made that up in a vacuum it was Mm -hmm. me thinking that my clients wouldn't stay alongside me if I took an extra couple weeks yeah So, well, also the six week mark is stupid. It's like a thing in our culture though, too. Okay. So you go, you're not scared. You're impatient. Mm -hmm. There might even be some excitement. Yeah. And, but like a shift from thinking you're gonna have a natural birth to all of a sudden being induced is Mm -hmm. like pretty big. But I still was the thought that like, I could have a natural induction. Like I could have have a vaginal birth, a vaginal unmated, unepidural birth with gotcha. Pitocin, you know, like, that's what they tell you. Like, you know, that's what you hear. A vaginal birth. A vaginal birth yeah. without an epidural. Oof. Cause then you can't even really say unmedicated because the Pitocin is medicine. Right. Mm-hmm. But well, and the Cervidil and yeah. So yeah, I ended, I ended up not needing Pitocin at mm-hmm. all. Um, but I did get that excruciating Foley balloon. Right. Oh, so you didn't get Cervidil. I got Cervidil and the Foley balloon. Okay. So um, for anyone who doesn't know, Cervidil is the, the gel that go- is inserted internally and it's put on the cervix the intention is to soften the cervix it sits there for 12 hours usually I don't know what yours was, it was like an hour it was like an hour well okay it's most commonly 12 but that's okay and then so after that they placed the Foley balloon mm-hmm. 
which you should Google what it looks like if you don't know, but it's literally this little balloon that they use to pry the woman's cervix open. It's a torture device. I've never heard a woman say that it wasn't excruciating. Like it's the worst pain I've ever felt probably in my life. Whoa. Yeah, it was intense. It was really intense. Um, Yeah. And then of course, what happens once it's inside of you and they fill it up with the water or whatever is in there, um, you know, you have to lay, you have, yeah, your body starts trying to push it out because it's like this foreign object. So I was having, you know, back to back to back to back to back contractions. They were very intense. Um, And you're on IV. I'm on an IV. Yeah. And, but like, for the most part, like, this is, this is the weird part is like, I was, it was night, nobody was around. My midwife was, someone else was in labor. And so she was with them the whole time. And so I was pretty much ignored until the balloon fell out. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's common. Yeah. I just, I was just in the bathroom with my partner and, Oh, you weren't forced to stay in bed. Not for, not after a while. Yeah. I was able to get up or maybe I just did. I don't know. We just did because nobody was in there. And, um, yeah, I was, you know, laboring in the bathroom and the balloon fell out and then they came, the midwife came in, did the first cervical check and said that I was eight centimeters dilated. And so I was like, well, I'm gonna have a baby soon. Then. Totally. This is great, sweet. It had only been a few hours. And I was like, this is awesome. I can do this. I felt like so elated, right? And it's like best news yeah, that I, you can get in an yeah. induction. I felt so great. I was like, <laughs> this is happening. We're gonna do it. I felt like renewed. My energy was high. There was a lot of positivity. And then the next contraction that came, my water broke. Whoa. And when my water broke, everything changed because I had the nurse and the midwife and everyone came running in the room. Nobody told me what was going on. They were just like, get in the bed now, rolling me around, putting me in all these different positions. And what the fluids were clear, I guess what happened is I was being monitored. And when my water broke, um, the heart, something happened with the heart rate and they were trying to get it to come back or like not be so distressed or whatever. So that was when it all changed because then I was in a bed, I was confined to a bed. I was confined to the hands and knees position because that was the only, um, way that the monitoring was like acceptable to their standards. Um, and I, you know, and of Mm. course my body was still going into labor. And so I was in this, I was approaching this time where, you know, in physiological birth, you're supposed to like really transcend into a different state of consciousness. And so I remember having to pull myself down from that Mm -hmm. in order to advocate for myself, which I think I did like, which it was probably one of the hardest things I've ever done. Um, But, you know, there were times when they were wanting to put one of those internal monitors where they put a screw in your baby's scalp, you know? Mm -hmm. And I remember like every ounce in my being, like having to like pull every ounce of strength to like say no, and then continue to say no Mm -hmm. until they left me alone about it. Birth and war. Yeah. It makes me think of trying <laughs> trying to talk to the cops on mushrooms. Exactly. That was exactly it's like the same yeah. paradigm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> have you ever done that? No, but I could I could I imagine have. what it would be like. Yeah. It's like it's we one time my friend and I were on mushrooms in, in some state park and 
we like weren't supposed to be there because yeah. there was a fire warning. It was out in um, California. Anyway, these cops roll up and I, same thing. I mean, I did it in my birth too when I transferred, right. but I like was like, come down here yeah. and keep your shit together because you have to be cool. Yeah, literally so like pulling your consciousness back into be like a logical Normal, being. sober person. Yeah. Oh, okay. That, but it's way worse what you're saying. Um, so they didn't do the no they they didn't do the screw um and they after an hour I think my midwife came in and she had said she said you know I think you're gonna need a c-section and if you do um you're gonna want the epidural you know you need an epidural so I think that you should get an epidural right now so that way it's just good plan have it for your c-section oh my god and like I was exhausted I was so tired all of it and well and the drama yeah you know yeah and in my mind, I was just like, she's like, I still trusted her, you know, which is weird because of all the things that were going on. I still trusted her. And so I was like, okay, I guess, I guess that's going to be my story. I guess I'm going to get the epidural still thinking that I'm going to have a vaginal birth, right? That was going to be like, what would save my, save me to get a vaginal birth, even though she just said, I'm going to have a C-section. Right. So as soon as I got the epidural, she did another cervical check and said, yes, I heard her say it's a cord. She didn't say it to me. She didn't say it to my partner. She said it to the nurse. Yep. It's a prolapse. And then the room was flooded with people. And so a cord prolapse, yeah. a cord fell through. Yeah. So my cord was through and the baby's Maybe. head was possibly compressing it, which, you know, the, the, the risks for that there's evidence now that I hadn't seen, there's newer evidence now suggesting that the use of a fully balloon catheter can up your chances for having a cord prolapse because indirectly it's rupturing your membranes with artificial membrane rupture. So that totally lines up with what happened. Um, and yeah, well, all of it, the fingers inside you, yeah. the stress, it just creates dysfunction, yeah. you know? Yeah. Well, it's very clear that like, and I, I, it's very clear to me that my body wasn't going into labor yet for a reason. Right. And like, maybe that reason was that my daughter was still trying to get the cord out of the way, you know, mm -hmm. because my daughter will find, you know, I found out later that my daughter had like a quadruple nuchal cord. And that was actually one of the things that gave me the most peace about my story because you always hear that a nuchal cord is like a sign of intelligence because the baby's getting it out of the way so they can come through. And I was kind of like, well, why didn't my baby do that? You know, like in this stages of grief, mm. I was trying to figure out, you know, what had gone on. And when I saw that it was a quadruple nuchal cord, I was like, she was trying so hard. Mm. She was trying so hard. Like, it's like, she knew what was going to happen and was trying so hard to like, give us what I was trying to give us as well. And like, it just wasn't possible in that system, you know? I just interviewed Sister Morningstar recently and a quote she said quite a few times. It's so obvious, but it was perfect. She said, if you stress the mom, you stress the baby. Of course. You yeah. know, and of course, mm -hmm. but it's if you stress the mom, you stress the baby. And this notion that we can like put women's bodies through, I mean, that's an obscene amount of stress. Mm -hmm. Even though so many women listening, that's their story too. This is so common. Most women get pit epidural and so it's become so normalized and so it can seem like it's less mm, like disruptive or violent on the spectrum or whatever mm -hmm. but 
that is such a stressful story. Mm-hmm. And so again, it just, it would create dysfunction because it would create stress in Luna. Right. Mm. I had heard, you know, I heard her say that to the nurse, but there, you know, if I was any other person, I probably wouldn't have known, I might not have known what that was, or I might not have heard her. Right. And so all next thing I know, I'm getting rolled down an aisle. There's a resident in my bed with her hand up inside of me, holding the baby up, like, you know, super, like, I don't know how deep she was, but I imagine she was pretty far in there. And, um, you already had the epi. I'd already had the epi, but like, you know, none of this, this was all happening to me. Mm -hmm. I didn't, wasn't in, I wasn't being aware. And like, that's, that's the scene that like would run through my head at three o'clock in the morning later on was like being rolled down this cart. And in my mind, you know, the epidural had happened so soon that they still thought they were going to have to put me under general. And in my mind, I wanted to be out of that situation so bad. I was like, just like, I just hope I just, I hope I just have to be under general. Like, mm-hmm. I don't want to be here. I don't want to do this. Just put me under general. Totally. Uh, like, I was just a, an attempt to disassociate. Of course, she didn't because I was, Yeah. Of but course. I didn't see that at the time, you know, I was just like surviving and, um, I didn't have to be, thank God. Um, but you know, and I was still trying to control the situation. Like I was still telling my midwife, you know, thinking about my partner who had no idea what was going on. Somebody needs to find him. Someone needs to tell him what's going on. Someone needs to, you know, of course. um, right. Cause it's an emergency C-section. Right. So he's not going to get like prepped and yeah. included. And you know, his story come to find out later, you know, in this hospital, every time a baby's born, they play a lullaby. And so he's all of a sudden, he doesn't know what's going on. All of a sudden his wife's gone. And so he's just sitting there waiting for that lullaby and they never played it when she was born. And so he was sitting there thinking that his baby was dead, oh my and, God. you know, and had no idea what was going on and was so scared. We were separated. It was terrible. Um, oh, that's bad. Yeah. When Luna was born, they pulled her out and they all laughed and I remember being like, what, why? And they wouldn't tell me. And I would assume it was because of the nuchal cord, like, cause to them that would have been crazy, but they were all like, whoa, ha, ha, whoa. And I was like, and then they just like held her up and she was like screaming in the air and they held her up so I could see her and she was just crying. And I just remember looking and being like, this is the first, this is the first time I'm ever going to see my daughter. And like, I don't know her because it just felt totally. so weird, you know, like, that's not how I'm supposed to see my baby for the oh, first time. Oh, so sad. And then, yeah, I, I did get my baby relatively soon in those experiences, you know, um, and yeah, she was on my chest and it was, it was just really weird. I remember like OR. closing my eyes in the OR, just trying to feel something, like feel something with this baby on my chest. But it was just like, I was so numb because I had like numbed myself out to like be able to experience. Well, and you were literally numb. And also as soon as they take the baby out, the anesthesiologist gives a whole new cocktail mm-hmm. of um, narcotics yeah. and sedatives. Right. And so, yeah, I mean, to feel is like a pretty hard ask. Yeah. There's a lot of drugs going through you. Yeah. Well, and then of course <clears throat> I had a reaction to the drugs and I started puking and then they mm-hmm. pushed some anti-puke meds on me and I yeah. had like a panic attack and was screaming yep. and, you know, luckily my partner was in there holding our baby while all this was happening. Oh, so he was allowed, he was allowed in. in after she was born. Yeah. And, um, then, you know, I don't remember much until they gave the baby to me to nurse. Um, I remember like, she looked at me with her little wise little eyes and she just clamped on my breast and started nursing right away. Cute. 
And that was like, I feel like that like unlocked something, you know, like I was able to feel some sort of hormonal cascade or some sort of feeling of bonding and whatever. And I was able to like, it just like ignited this like fierceness of being like this baby realization, like this baby relies on me. And I'm the only, if anything that we've learned from this situation is I'm the only one that has our best interests at heart. And like, I, it's up to me to like protect mm. this like beautiful little baby, like who's staring in my eyes, nursing right now. Like I'm keeping her alive. And you're like mutilated and bandaged and coming mm-hmm. off drugs and like, just what a, what an impossible disorientation that is to come into your like protector mm-hmm. in that through trauma. Ooh. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, you know, our, our, the rest of our experience in the hospital was relatively simple. There was no abuse by the nurses. Nobody, you know, the baby was, Luna was kept with us the entire time. She was never separated from us. And, um, you know, I, my new fierce self protecting my baby, you know, first thing I said to the nurse was like, she's sleeping with me. I don't care what you say, you know, like, so she, you know, we were able to How'd they respond um, to that? Um, pretty, they were, I had two older nurses who just kind of seemed like more chill, um, who were just kind of like, okay, I'll just write that you declined the bassinet. And then I had a, a younger nurse the last day who tried to come in my room at like three o'clock in the morning and like make an example of me, you know, <laughs> to like her little, she had like a little trainee and she came in, she's like, woke me up and was like, I'm going to take this baby because you're not supposed to have her. And I was like, no, you're not. And like, I obviously won the battle. There are stories in our membership and from women I've, I've worked with who have had CPS or social services called on them for not bassinating the baby. That's terrible. You know? So it's always so tricky with these stories. When I hear like women like stood their ground Mm -hmm. because I feel like it creates like, of course we should at least try that. But the risk of doing that sometimes can be really bad. Yeah. And it's so confusing because we're never actually in control right. in those right. spaces. Mm-hmm. Nursing, breastfeeding went great. Um, luckily, I had, you know, my milk came down on day three. My daughter latched great. There was no issue. Um, my nipples were sore for like an hour, you know, like just like very minimal issues. So when you go home and are entering postpartum at that point how are you thinking about what just went down I had framed it as my midwife was my savior she knew I had a cord prolapse that's why she gave me the epidural because she knew that was what it was and um she suggested the epidural so that way I wouldn't have to be put under general oh she did you a favor she did me a favor yeah wise yeah and uh Uh, wow okay yeah so that's what I was thinking um and I also had a little bit of you know maybe my water would have gotten lower and lower and I would have you know had a if I had gone home you know my baby might have died or you know whatever I didn't really know I wasn't I wasn't thankful I hadn't I hadn't reached the entire reframe of like oh if I hadn't given birth in the system like my baby would have died I, I I played around with it but there was a big part of me that knew like, because like of what happened, like I knew the induction caused it. I just hadn't realized 
my midwife's role. I had really like held on to like having her be my savior because I trusted her. And, um, you know, of course that was, that was a big heartbreak to realize that like she mm-hmm. was part of my story and the betrayal, you know? Um, so tell us a little bit about your postpartum before we shift. Um, you know, I was aware, I was aware to an extent I gave myself, you know, two to, I think three full weeks of in bed, you know, just snuggling my baby. We had a similar, you know, we had a postpartum experience that a lot of people do where, you know, we had visitors, but no one to come take care of me, just like visitors to come hang out. And, you know, um, my husband did a lot of the work around the house. So he was, and he was also dealing with his own stuff. So he was kind of like, you know, with the birth and he, Mm. he was just kind of taking care of me and I was taking care of the baby. And it was just kind of like this weird haze. There wasn't like the joy that there should have been. Mm. Although I really enjoyed those first three few weeks, you know, of course, snuggling with my baby and nursing. Um, But, you know, at four and a half, five weeks postpartum, I went back to work, you know, post-C-section and that's nuts crazy five weeks after surgery yeah and like I went back to work like and she's a hairdresser mm -hmm. so she's on her feet yeah yeah so that was crazy and like of course my husband and my daughter had a terrible time oh my daughter stayed with him yeah my my husband stayed home with my daughter while I went back to work um we made our schedules work so that could be happen um and I my daughter just cried for me till I come home every day. And so we, we switched it up so that, you know, she would be with him and cry for four hours instead of six. And then she'd come nurse. And like, I would just wear her at work because that's just, you know, and, um, she never took a bottle. Like she was just really, you know, we both were really, neither of us wanted to be apart. And so, um, I don't know why so much repair was trying to happen. Yeah. And I don't, I don't know why I, we just stayed in that stuck cycle for so long, yeah. you know, it, 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 it messed up my husband's ability to experience like a happy mm-hmm. infancy, you know, like with her, because she, she had this story that like, she hated him. Mm-hmm. And like, I just kept going to work. I just kept going to work like a robot, you know, knowing that my baby was screaming. Ugh, it was so, so weird. Intense. And we, we did what we could to make it better. But like, now I'm just like, now that I know, like, now that I am who I am now, I'm like, if something like that wasn't working, I just would have changed it. Totally. You know? Totally. Um, but it wasn't in my reality. It didn't even seem tangible. It wasn't even a thought. It probably didn't even morning. occur to yeah, you. It wasn't even a It's thought. just what you do. And it's what mm-hmm. everyone around you does. Mm-hmm. And I am like picturing you trying to give a shit about someone's hair, you know, <laughs> yeah. like, while you know, all like all of this stress, you know, is in your field. Mm-hmm. And being like, oh, you're gonna do bangs, yeah. you know, just like, oh my god, something like hell. Yeah. But the amazing, the 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 thing that came out of that ultimately was, you know, I'm sure we'll get into this, but the instant I found out I was pregnant the second time, I quit my job. <laughs> you know, because I was like, I'm not gonna do it. I'm not gonna go through that hell again. Yeah. You know, I'm not gonna have the pressure of going into labor on my client's schedule. I'm not going to have the pressure of having to go back to work before I'm ready. I'm Mm -hmm. not going to have the pressure of trying to make a baby take a bottle, you know? I mean, that is the, what's the right word gift, you know, in some of these tragic stories Mm -hmm. is it's like so bad that women 
are like never again. Yeah. You know, and it's kind of the gift feels maybe kind of like a strange word to use, but I don't have a better one right now, but you know, in the birth trauma debriefs and stuff that I do, it's like, okay, like really integrate it, really understand the cost Mm -hmm. of what, what has happened. So how does that whole thing leave you and then take us into Cleo? Because I, I know that when you and I became friends, you were not having any more kids, Mm -hmm. like both you and your husband were like, one and done. Mm-hmm. Will you speak a little bit to that? And then like the shift of being open to a new baby and just, and then you just take us into her pregnancy. I mean, yeah, I, I didn't want any more kids for a long time. You know, I had said no. And I think if a part of me had gone in the other direction of like, thank God the system saved my baby. And I had chosen to stay and remain trauma bonded to the system. I wouldn't have ever had any more kids. I would have happily had my non-hormonal copper IUD inside of me for 10 years and got it replaced until I went menopausal and been fine because I knew I would have never, ever had a baby in the system again like that. And if that was what the system had to offer me, then it wouldn't be possible. Um, Luckily, there's another way. <laughs> so, you know, and your babies are four years apart. And so, mm-hmm. so much growth happens yeah. in that time, right? Yeah. And I think, I mean, I had had a shit big shift actually, not, not too shortly before she was conceived where I was with you um, here. And it was the first time you had met my partner and, um, you know, you were here, our friend Isabella was here. Mm-hmm. And um, of course, birth came up a lot. And my husband was asking a lot of questions that I would have consumed, considered like ignorant. And I probably would have responded really snottily to, you know, like I would have been like, like I remember he asked Izzy if she did cervical checks. And if I would have responded, I would have been like, of course she doesn't. What are you dumb? That's stupid, you know? But she just answered with so much grace and, you know, like, oh no, I don't do that. You know, that would be you know, introducing bacteria that's not conducive to physiological birth, blah, blah, blah. But I kind of realized in that time that like, I had kind of made this story up that we weren't going to have any kids because at this point I was like, okay, if we have another kid, we free birth. But, you know, I don't think that either of us would be ready or like, you know, we'd have to do a lot of work to get there. And I realized like, oh, my husband actually doesn't need to do a lot of work to get there. I'm making up that he does because I need to do work to get there. (laughs) You know what I mean? But he's such a good example of like, didn't do any work, doesn't doesn't really know anything. He doesn't know anything at all. My husband's not someone who is like this, like enlightened, crunchy man. He's very much the opposite. And so also- where are the enlightened that's not a real thing (laughs) but you know he's not he's not who you would expect he's like a normal guy he's just a normal guy you know he uses tide free and clear because I won't let him use scents but yeah he would use scented tide if he was allowed (laughs) grudgingly so and he's from Dominican Republic where everyone gets c-sections he comes from a, a normalized line of serious trauma births yeah 
right? Yeah. He's had three trauma, traumatic, with the three women in his, the three birth experiences he's had in his life from women close to him have all been extremely traumatic, almost de death, you know. Um, but the difference about him that is so amazing and really worth giving credit to or honor to or whatever is that he's a good example of a man who to your point like didn't really know much doesn't really know anything about birth doesn't care to really doesn't really care yeah. to that's all great and fine and defaulted to your desires authority information education um which obviously both you and I feel very strongly yeah. about like that that's required in a in a healthy relationship you right. know and you both have your lanes and mothering is That's your lane yeah. right because because yeah. duh women <laughs> um and you know because you know we're, we're touching on this because so many women believe the story that they have to their husband has to be like totally yeah, into it and know everything and take the complete guide with them and read all the books and have no fear and be super excited about it and like that's not really what I've ever seen to be how most couples do this um but if there's the fundamental respect and and support right it's like some basic ass shit you know then yeah he doesn't actually have to know all the things you do yeah. you're the one that's going to navigate this you're the one that's going to care more that care the most you're the ones me thinking about all of this and i see a lot of women get like upset that their partners don't have a big interest in reading the books but but of course they don't yeah they're gonna just like show up and watch mm -hmm. and actually i'm gonna say this publicly it is a red flag for me when the men are overly involved yeah because they it's weird mm -hmm. like they often i'm making a generalization but but often the men that are like overly involved are narcissists and they make it about them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's requirements. There's yeah. Ew. Yeah. Okay. So over those four years, you're joining free birth society. We're becoming friends. Um, your life is changing, yeah. right? Like you're finding herbalism, you're like, there's a lot of change yeah. between these two children. Yeah. So I guess I had, I, I joined free birth society because, um, I had been listening to the podcast and at what point, um, I was listening to it while I was pregnant with Luna. Oh. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I had even like entertained the idea of like, well, if I go into labor, maybe I'll just stay home. I thought that I would get that birth in the hospital, mm -hmm. which is silly. Um, but I, I did, I thought I could, I thought I'd be the exception. And, mm -hmm. um, of course, once the induction happened too, like the accidentally, you know, it's one of those women who say they want to have pre-birth, they have nothing to do with it. You know, they don't move forward with it at all. Yeah. So I, I ended up when there is an episode with Diana about healing birth trauma. Mm -hmm. And that was the first time that I had really felt validated that like, I was allowed to be upset, you yes. know, and, um, the next day on Instagram, you had posted that there was going to be a healing birth trauma group on Facebook, which no longer exists. But um, so I, I downloaded Facebook nice. and joined the Free Birth Society membership or community through there. Oh, gee. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and then I, when that, when we switched, when you switched over to the membership model, I just switched over. Yeah. Um, and 
So I was part of the, you know, I think there were like 30 women at first in the membership. And during this time, you know, obviously as a new mom, I, I was, you know, I was, I was a new mom. I hadn't broken free of like the old, the expectations of my own life, you know, and the expectations of like the people in my circles at the time of how I would parent. And so Mm -hmm. there was a lot of, I don't know how I would describe it, but I I was under the impression that if I had, if I was going to take responsibility for my children, my child and live outside the allopathic model, I had to be, I had to know everything. Right. And like, I had to be able to really step up and, you know, treat my kids out. But now, now I look at it so much differently. Like now I just know, like it just flows. Right. But in my mind, I'm, you know, it's like who it's like women who take their blood pressure out for no reason. Yeah. It happens in layers. It happens in layers, you know? Um, so I was initially started studying herbalism so that I could rely on myself Mm. to take care of my daughter thinking from an allopathic Mm -hmm. mindset. It's like, gosh, I I remember that too. And it's like the first layer out is like, we have to become the doctors. Yes. It's like replacing. Whereas then later, like how it is now is like, there's actually a whole different paradigm and consciousness to exist in. But in the beginning, yeah. Yeah. We are the pediatricians. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Exactly. So yeah, I was studying herbal pediatrics. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. Well, Hey, it did you well. It did me well because you learned a lot. (laughs) What happens when you're working with the plants is they reveal themselves to you in new ways and you learn so much just working with them. And so, um, I, you know, ultimately ended up, you know, evolving into an herbalist and I make you know, my own plant medicines and they're not, they're not a part of my, you know, there's no herbal pediatrics at all, but they are a part of our, they support us. You know, mm-hmm. I always knew that the only way I would have another baby would be completely outside the system. Um, and as time went on and you and I became closer and, you know, I did all the events in the event that you do, I'd sign up for and come to, and we became close. And I went to the Matriarch Rising Festival. Half <laughs> the women were bleeding, half of the women were ovulating. <laughs> I was ovulating. And when I got home from the festival, Cleo was conceived, <laughs> which happened to so many women. Yeah. The joke of coming to the festival is that you're you're gonna go home and either get divorced or pregnant. Yeah. <laughs> Depending on the health of your relationship. Yeah. And it's so true because now we're about what three months out from the festival and all the pregnancy announcements are rolling in <laughs> and divorce. <laughs> and divorce. <laughs> hey, you level up. What can I yeah, say? It's an up leveling for sure. Yeah. So, but even when you got pregnant, well, I mean, from, from me on the outside as your friend, you were never like declaration. I've changed my mind. I'm having a baby. No, no, no. You just like, yeah, we're like, I think I'm pregnant. Yeah. And we were like, wait, what? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that shift that I talked about, you know, a few months prior making that shift mental shift of like, oh, it's not my husband, Javier, that needs to do the work. It's myself. I feel like that realization that was the work was Mm -hmm. having the realization. There wasn't much work to be done because I'd already been doing it unconsciously the last few years, but I think you were using him as like a scapegoat. Yeah. Like he was the last, that idea was the last piece I had to shed. Um, and I feel like that unlocked like the path mm-hmm. for Cleo to be able to come down to me. Um, she wasn't called in. She wasn't planned. Um, <laughs> she was allowed. Um, that's a funny meme. 
<laughs> not called in, not planned, but allowed. <laughs> yeah. So I knew that, you know, pregnancy was a possibility and I chose not to take the herbs I'd usually use to prevent pregnancy. And, um, yeah, um, you know, when my period didn't come, I was still didn't really think I was pregnant, but then I, I never tested. I just, I had a couple, you and Izzy aforementioned Isabella look at my chart and I was like I think this is a pregnancy chart is this a pregnancy chart I remember that on signal <laughs> yeah so we all looked at my chart and <laughs> yes it took me a while to come to terms that I was indeed pregnant and once I did it was just I was like okay we're not doing the same thing as last time mm -hmm. I quit my job I didn't you just really like else. I just blossomed though yeah like you were so chill and happy yeah and your herbalism stuff was taking off. Yeah. It wasn't new, but yeah, it was, it, it, it allowed quitting my job allowed me yeah. to spend the focus on the things in my life that made me happy. And I just love how it's all connected, mm -hmm. you know, like this free birth thing is not about free birth, but it, it like opens up because you can have a free birth and not change at all mm -hmm. and stay in an abusive marriage and be miserable and be broke and hate your life. I, I know those women. I have met those women. Or you can use it or even the path of it as this major catalyst. And you're a really good example of someone who, and we have lots of these women in our community who, you know, rise from the ashes of their birth trauma and are like, fuck that. That was horrible. No. And so then what? Right. And then like, I mean, so, so meaning that like your career shift is a really big part of the story yeah. actually, because of where we are today, Yeah, you know, with it, it's a huge part of it, but it's completely intertwined. Like, could you imagine having all the, the gifts that you've had in your, in your birth, your pregnancy and your postpartum without that career change, yeah. you know, like no. there's so much that comes together no. with this. It's so cool. Yeah. So what do you want to share about pregnancy? I mean, pregnancy was just so chill. You slept a lot. I slept a lot. <laughs> we, we moved to we moved to the Dominican Republic for the winter. Um, bought a house. Bought a house, which would have been a dream of ours that we talked about for years. Mm. But my career had been holding us to Omaha, where I'm from. Um, I, yeah, I chilled. I, I ate a lot of food that wasn't always healthy and learned a really important lesson about how sometimes it's not the health, but like that matters, but like that the food my mother-in-law prepared for me with like love and good mm -hmm. intention was more nourishing for me than like the fact that it might not have had such good stuff in it. So mm -hmm. that was like actually a really powerful thing for me to learn because it, it let me let go of control. Mm -hmm. You know, my whole life, I've just controlled everything. And or thought or tried to, yeah, yeah. And so, like, you know, I'm slowly <sighs> able to, like, you know, that that was a really pivotal point because a lot of I, I see a lot of women who think, like, we were talking about with the, you know, herbal pediatrics, that, um, you know, they think that they have to become the pediatrician or the OBGYN or the midwife, nutritionist, and the nutritionist mm -hmm. when they're having a wild pregnancy, and you don't, you know, like, you just live your life, just chill out, and um. So that, that the, the nutrition had kind of been something that I was really focused on. And then that shift allowed me to just really like 
let the rest of it just kind of so you're also describing a shift from like mind dominance to to heart mm -hmm. you know like receiving love and mm -hmm. looking at food and a more you know in a different lens and not feeling like you have to know everything and do everything and it, that's such a yeah. integrative shift of consciousness yeah it's really cool yeah and then we ultimately you know um I had, I guess I had options for where I could birth, you know, staying in the DR was one of them. I had family in DR. I had family in Omaha. I had family or I, you know, friends, family here. And I, I had options. I think this place was always in our hearts to come here, you know, and I, it, I just, I just had to look, take one step at a time. So yeah. like my birth wasn't even on my mind and I ended up flying here at 40 weeks pregnant. <laughs> um, and you went to Omaha first, yeah. right? And got your apothecary like Set in up. gear mm -hmm. to prep so that you could chill. Mm -hmm. And then you flew here. Yeah. yeah. I flew here or, and then, yeah, you know, get our car down here. We had got that set up. Um, we found an Airbnb. We found an Airbnb. That was two minutes down the road. Yeah. It was the best Airbnb ever. Um, yeah, tell, say about that because that is kind of amazing. I, this Airbnb, I mean, obviously moving, selling my home in Omaha, staying in a lot of Airbnbs in DR, doing this house shopping, searching for Airbnbs here to have my baby. I mean, being a retired control freak. Being a retired control freak. <laughs> I'm very, very picky about certain things of course where it comes to where I'm going to be staying and especially when it's like where I'm going to be birthing my baby totally. and somehow we found this Airbnb that's just like it was decorated to like my perfect style like everything that's about crazy. it was amazing in a town full of like log cabin yeah like rustic taxidermy quilts. on the yeah, wall yeah 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 quilts on the wall just yeah. like wood yeah it was like it's couldn't have been better so I felt like so at home it's awesome when we got there um you know and we just started life here like you know I got we got here on a Saturday and my daughter started year at school on Monday you know what I mean and like it was just so easy to just like be and drop in and I felt so at home you know some of the women I was meeting for the first time some of them I hadn't seen in a while and you know it just I just felt so integrated and easy from the beginning and, and then it was Luna's birthday like right away mm -hmm. yeah Luna's birthday was that Sunday so it was like Saturday we got there Sunday was her birthday and then Monday she started school and then I had like even though I flew here at 40 weeks, I had like a two week adjustment period of just like chilling. Yeah. We flew on a Saturday and I birthed on a Saturday, two weeks later. So tell me about, yeah, just like at this point, now you're here, you're thinking about it. What's the setup? What's Javi like, like, how do you drop into, especially because of your like kind of shit show of a first story, like mm -hmm. how much fear is there to navigate with you two? Um, I mean, you know, it's a lot, that's yeah. a lot to just like come to a town, rent an Airbnb, be due any second. Yeah. Friends are great. I mean, we're exceptionally yeah. magical, but you know, that's a lot to just be like, we're doing this. Yeah. And uh, with, uh, particularly with this pretty dramatic surgical experience last time. I mean, yeah. I mean, I want to be very clear that like my husband was terrified. <laughs> 
<laughs> he was terrified. Um, we taught, you know, and like, he was open about that. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't scared at all. And he trusted me. And I mean, we always, it always came down to like, him being like, you know, if you were to say, you know, and like, he never said this to me, but like, I, I know that if I would have been like, screw it, let's go to the hospital. Oh, he'd been like, thank God, yes, let's go. 100%. You know, um, yes. but at the same time, like he really honored, but he never brought it up, which no, was no. nice. Yeah. And he really just honored what I, he would just, yeah. Honored my I don't even want to say my choice, just like my, he was along for the ride. ride. He was along for the ride. Yeah. I really respect that because mm -hmm. he, he was really scared mm -hmm. and nervous and he didn't like harp on it. Mm -hmm. You know, like when I asked him about it, he was honest, mm -hmm. you know, about his, his fears and his questions, but it wasn't like he was making the whole thing about him or taking it over. And he certainly didn't ruin your birth in any way, shape or form. And, mm -hmm. you know, I really respect that because I think that's, a really appropriate role, mm -hmm. right? Like, of course he's scared. Mm -hmm. That's, you know, and I say this to, to women all the time, like, of course your partner is scared. Of course he's nervous. That, that makes sense to me. Yeah. You know, maybe after three births at home, he won't be. Yeah. And I mean, even after, I don't know if he'll have more kids, obviously, but even after this one, he's, you know, the evolution yeah. for him keeps pushing the needle too, but women are so socialized to hero their husbands and to do everything we can for them to never feel discomfort or nervousness or fear. And you and I don't have marriages like that. We're both like, figure it out. I love you. <laughs> you know, we like, we don't take that on. And it really shows, you know, it shows in the health of the relationship and in how his, his willingness and capacity and really maturity to show up in such a sweet way. I mean, he was so great. Mm -hmm. And be, and also I don't know scared, how scared yeah. he was at the actual birth. I don't think he was scared. Of yeah. The and birth. that's pretty yeah. common too. You know, that men think it's going to be really scary. He was really nervous mm -hmm. about the blood member. And then he was totally great. Yeah. That's quite common. Yeah. Yeah. He was my main source. He was my, yeah. Only source, he was my main source of support. Yeah. <laughs> he kept washing his hands <laughs> when he would get blood on it. <laughs> He's a little um, squeamish. Is that the right word? Yeah. Okay. So end of pregnancy. What else do you want to share before you get into the story? Um, yeah, that's it. We were just, we it was just, out. it was so easy. Mm -hmm. it, even at 42 weeks, it was like a surprise to go into labor for me. So I was just like hanging out, you know? Yeah. You did that. Right. You so, were very chill. Yeah. So I guess, um, it kind of all starts. The story starts with me waking up on a Saturday morning, early, early, like three o'clock in the morning. And I'd been having kind of like practice contractions for a while, like actually very early on in my pregnancy. Um, but I felt these practice contractions, but I was feeling them in my throat too. Like when my uterus would contract, my throat would contract. That's crazy. And I remember thinking like, oh, this is interesting um, because there's like that thro throat cervix uh -huh. connection. And um I actually, at three o'clock in the morning, I got on the membership because another woman had posted like, Hey, I'm feeling contractions in my throat. That's Has anyone crazy. ever experienced this? So I got on my comment and I was like, what ever happened with that? Did you have a baby? <laughs> <laughs> I know. I don't even know if she ever replied or not, but, um, and then I went to back to bed and I woke up in the morning and we had brunch plans. And so we were like 12 of us. There were so many of us as all, all the people, all of the friends and partners and kids and 
we have the, we're at this big table and our kids are being crazy and there's foods being passed around and we don't know whose food is whose and it was it was totally comical and buzz burned his tongue yeah our our little friend our son's little our friend's little son burned his mouth on hot chocolate and was crying and i just a classic brunch it was a crazy brunch and i just remember sitting there and i realized i was like i feel like i'm like stoned like i feel like i'm not experiencing any of this well what you said was i feel like I'm the only one that smoked a joint at the party. Yeah, that's what I felt like. I was just like, oh, none of this is happening, but it is, you know, it's so weird. And then we took, we, we, as we were leaving, you took a photo of the three of us, me, Javier and Luna. And you said, oh, this could be your last photo as a family of three. And I was just kind of like, oh, whatever. Um, Oh, and the reason why we all went to brunch was because our friend Meg had come into town the night before and she was staying the weekend and she was staying with me. So she was, she was there. And I love that there was no talk about her being at your birth. No. Like there was from her. Yeah. She was like, you better give birth. I want to be here. But it was all just so casual and not planned. And I just love the I love the distinction of how you described your first birth with a, what did you call it? My birth plan. Full proof or a solid, what was the word you used? I don't remember, but yeah. Ironclad. Yeah. And then you come here and it's just all so loosey goosey. And it's like, you had all the right ingredients. You had the right people. You had the right mentality. You have a wonderful marriage. Like everything is chill Mm -hmm. and you really got to gosh, I mean, well into postpartum, I mean, into now you got to see what it's like in your life to just flow. Yeah. Right. Which, Which was never done. Right. Before. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, so funny. Cause like, of course, who has a friend to come stay with them casually when they're 42 weeks pregnant, like with no expectation of having yeah. a baby, but I was, you know, and so she was with us and, um, I think we all like took a nap in the afternoon. And when I woke up from the nap, I was kind of like starting to feel contractions and, and she's also pregnant. Yeah. And I, I had said, like, I was like, I was expecting this stage to go on for days. Like I was just like, I'm going to be crabby and have contractions mm-hmm. off and on with no pattern for days. <laughs> and this is just gonna in my mind, I was like, this is just what's going to be like for a couple of days. I'm getting close you know, like this is, I'm 42 weeks pregnant. Yeah. I was like, let's just go on a walk because I don't want it. Like, it's going to, I don't want, like, it's going to be days of this. I'm going to have to stay as busy as possible because. And the story goes that she's in total denial appropriately. So best thing you can do at this stage, but all of our friends who are with her, there's like four of them with her over on where the festival is, is are all like, she's in labor. She's in labor. So everyone knew, but you So we were walking around Moonspring. There's like a playground there where our kids were all playing. You know, we had sent the text out like, oh, I'm going to go walk around if anyone wants to bring the kids and meet up. And so we were all just kind of there maybe for like an hour, like chatting. And I had this thought, I had a contraction, like the first contraction that I had that was like really painful that I had to like stop and breathe and like, you know, just like the first one, I had this thought where I was like, damn it I forgot how much this sucks like I forgot how much this sucks why did I do this to myself I should just go to the hospital right now like I should just go I don't want to do this for three days this is gonna suck I'm just gonna go to the hospital and get it over with (laughs) and then in my mind I'm like okay that's an interesting thought let's walk through that 
what would happen? So I picture in my mind, Javier driving me to the hospital. But yeah, I mean, I just thought about it. I was like, what would that look like? I got to, we'd go to the ER, Ugh. they'd do a cervical check. And as soon as I thought about that, I was like, meh, no, mm-hmm. that's not for me. Yeah. So got that out of the way, easy. And then we were driving home mm-hmm. and Meg said, are you hungry? And I said, no. And she goes, everyone else is starving. I'm going to go to the store and make some tacos. So I'm going to drop you off, go get to go to the store. And it was when it was in the car, I was like super uncomfortable. And I was like, I think I'm in labor. Like <laughs> this sucks, you know, being in the car. I think I was like on the dashboard, like propped up. And this is like what, 6 or 7 PM? No, it was eight. It was like 7:45. Okay. Because we walked in the house. I looked at the clock. It was eight o'clock. And I said to Javi, I think I'm in labor. I'm going to get in the tub, see if it slows down a little bit, but I might be in labor. And I never left the tub. Um, so <laughs> I filled the tub up and the contractions got stronger <laughs> instead of slowing them down. Like I figured they would. And, um, my four-year-old daughter, Luna was in the tub with me very sweetly behind me in between contraction or during contraction, she'd rub my back and tell me I was okay. And I was doing a good job, which wasn't like, we'd never talked about labor or anything. So she cute. just like was there. It was so sweet. Um, four-year-olds are the best. Oh, she was so great. And, um, then it got to the point where I didn't want her there anymore. And it was perfect because it was right when they got home. And so they got home, started making tacos and her and Luna were in there making tacos. And, um, my husband Javier came in and, you know, we were just doing the thing, you know, we try, I was super uncomfortable. None of the positioning that worked with Luna helped this time because mm. anytime I'd like bend forward or anything it just felt like I was gonna like break a baby in half she was just like I assume she was just like so low but you know I'm still expecting like this to be going on for a very long time right and for context you're actually gonna give birth from this time in like an hour yeah right yeah I had like from the time I walked in the house she was born an hour and 20 minutes later so yeah, I was just, we tried doing like, you know, lifting the belly. We tried counter pressure. It all sucked. It was all, it was all just like, I was just like, okay, I just have to let this happen. You know, there was no, nothing else. And so I, my water broke at some point and Javi texted you, my water broke at nine. Mm -hmm. And I think we were like, can you come over? And when I look back on that message, it's so funny because I had texted you and I was like, like 30 minutes prior. And I was like, I think I'm starting to go into labor. And you were like, how are you doing? And I'm like, oh, it kind of sucks. I forgot it sucks. (laughs) And then the next message was like, would you please come over to my house? And you were like, why? Yeah. Are you normal? (laughs) The texting's not good for that stuff. And, um, yeah. So then things would were, you please come over? Yeah. I was like, could you please come over? Like totally. Normal. But in reality, you're like in the tub. But in reality, I was yeah. like, I have to type this message out right now before I like. <laughs> and so, yeah. Um, yeah. So I was just in the tub. My husband was just kind of in there. I think he was squeezing my hand a lot. That was like the only thing that I was like, he'd just like squeeze my hand and I would curse and then <laughs> it'd be over. There was a very brief time right before the baby started coming out where I just like laid back in the tub and I was so tired. And I remember turning to my husband and I was like, I think I fall asleep right now. 
And I did, I like laid back and like dozed for a minute until the next contraction. And then I felt her head basically. Um, it, it hurt. <laughs> I like burned, you know, like I felt, I felt like my skin around her head, like stretching. And I was like, don't want this to happen. <laughs> I don't want this to happen right now. And ultimately, you know, I felt her head trying to come through a couple times. And I, and then I was like, but I want this birth to be over. So like, it has to come through. <laughs> and so I literally just the, the next time it, it was, it tried to come through. I just shouted as loud as I could, like to really just like, let myself, let this baby come through. And I swear, like, I was so loud that I could swear I could like see my sound waves like reverberating <laughs> through the house in my like high birth state. Oh my god, it was insane! I was like, oh, but the head came out, and then I felt so much relief. Like yeah. it just felt so good to have the head out of my body. Just like immediate, just like oh, deep you, breath. You're standing in the shower, right? I'm standing in the tub. I had one leg out of the tub, one leg in, and I was standing. And I was guiding her head with my hands. And then it was the perfect timing. Meg and Luna just popped their heads in and Meg was going to put Luna to bed. Meg was like coming in to say goodnight. And um, I just look up and I was laughing and I was like, we got a head. And she was like, oh my God, do you want me to film? And I was like, oh yeah. And so, cause we were just so in it. Like that obviously wasn't even thought about. So that was perfect timing. Luna was able to like watch she like got right up close and personal was looking at the head coming out and then one more contraction and I just caught her and then dropped her in the pool and picked her in the tub and picked her right back up I caught her and then I dropped her yep. and then I picked her right came out I had her in my hands and then she just kind of like slipped through that's funny um I thought I totally thought she was a boy I just looked at her face and I was like oh this is my this is my boy and Whoa. um sat down in the tub and was just kind of, you know, doing the mom thing where I'm, you know, checking her out and him at the time. Oh <laughs> and, um, you know, I did a little suction and rubbed, rubbed their back and just talked and like, you did it. We did it. It's so amazing. You're doing such a good job, baby. You know, all the things. And then cause she was sleeping, you know, she came out sleeping oh. and just so relaxed and then so finally she like opened her eyes, cried one cry and then went back to sleep. And I think that one cry was when you were coming in, but you walked in. Um, and then I checked and it was a girl. And I was like, oh my God, it's another girl. Yeah, you were so surprised. My, my Luna was so happy to have a sister. Oh, and she, this was like the my best memory of the whole thing was that she had gone, I guess she had been collecting items while I was in labor. She had grabbed like the nursing pillow and a onesie and had made the baby a card. And so when she came in to say goodnight and the head was out, she ran and got the, or after the baby was born, she ran and got all of those things. And she was waiting with the card and the onesie to like- And had the boppy under, under her arm, like ready to like give the baby this card. It was so sweet. I still have it. It was so cute. Yeah, it was so cute. Oh. It was, it was like amazing. And it was an hour and 20 minutes. Like it was literally an hour and 20 minutes. It was mm. insane. And I thought I was going to have this like three day birth, you know? Well, and this is such a good example of depending on where you want to start it, you know, she could have 
in the morning when she felt stoned and was having contractions, she could have been like, I'm starting and then complained all day and been miserable. And then her story would be that she had a 14 hour birth, Mm -hmm. you know, like this is, this is the, the proof to just push it off as long as you can and like not take it that seriously and just go about your day because then you get to think you had an hour and a half first, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So then what? So then you were there, which was perfect timing because there was a lot of stuff that probably would have been tricky, you know, if I hadn't had someone there to guide me through the process of like, and my partner too, like Mm -hmm. getting out of the tub, getting into the bed with the baby, getting, you know, helping my placenta come through. Um, cause that was something I really didn't want to do. I didn't want to birth my placenta. We all knew it was ready. <laughs> um, it was right there, but I didn't want to do it. My muscles were so sore. I was cramping. You were having a spasm. Yeah. yeah. I had like a Charlie horse from like all the, the everything. And mm-hmm. I didn't want to deliver my placenta <laughs> and I did. Thanks to you being like, Hey, you need you're to. gonna feel a lot better. Just do it. So I did it. And it was fine. Um, that is like one of the few things that I'm kind of bossy about mm-hmm. at first. Yeah. I, I appreciated it. Totally. Yeah. No, I think it's what's right. Yeah. Because like I don't was, get comfy with, yeah. with it in. Yeah. Oh, I totally would have. I know you wanted to just lay down. Yeah. Yeah. And then it would have been a whole nother thing. Of, it just, yeah, it was, it was appropriate time for it to come out. And it definitely is oh, so much better. So much better. Yeah. yeah. And then, yeah, we, oh, Meg brought us tacos in bed. I just snuggled up with that baby. We all ate tacos. It was Luna great. Luna was still awake. Luna was still awake. She was like on her own little high. She was, yeah. Um, you put Luna to bed. And then when she was sleeping, I think we brought her back in the bed because I wanted us to all wake mm-hmm. up together in the morning. But um, yeah. Meg cut the cord. Meg cut the cord. And when I woke up in the morning, it was just the four of us. <laughs> it was amazing. Yeah, and she nursed right away. She yeah. nursed in the tub. She nursed in the tub. Like asleep. Sleeping. <laughs> yeah. And she nursed. Yeah, she's she was a great nurser from day one. It was it was great. It was so simple. Mm-hmm. And like obviously like a very powerful moment in my life, but it's not like it wasn't like oh, before and after my free birth, you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Or it wasn't like, it was like, it was just like another day, Mm -hmm. which is what was, I think was so cool about it because I think in the society of traumatic birth, Mm -hmm. birth is like huge, you know, it's like this, like, yeah. And it can be this huge monumental transformative event, but it can also just be like another day without like the weird of like oh birth is just another day and the woman go back to work the next day like it was just like it was just another day in my life and I just continued on well I think I think we hear that a lot with free birthers who are not first-time moms yeah you know because they're quicker births right so like first-time moms unless they're having quick births with which most don't it's it is a big deal because it's like three freaking days right so it's like a whole marathon but for second and on, it's usually just like a couple hours of like the real stuff. And so it's integrated. Mm-hmm. And so many women say that on the podcast that it was like the most special, perfect day and just another day. And and kind of, you know, when a lot of women tell their stories, it's like, 
That's it. There's not much to say. Like I had some contractions and I had a baby and I got in bed and, and I love that because we need to keep, because of you pointing to like the dramatization of the hospital birth, you know, I want women to know that birth can be and really works best as this integrated, just another day. Of course it's special and it's part of your day. Yeah. Like yeah. you screamed a little bit and then yeah. laid in bed and, and ate tacos. And tacos. Yeah. And went to sleep. Yeah. So let's talk about your postpartum and yeah. then we'll, and then we'll wrap. So it was so fun, you know, for us to support you because you're the first um, birthing woman in our crew mm-hmm. since this whole little utopia has gotten set up. Um, yeah. So what do you want to share about, about what the, not just about what it's like, but then also, you know, a bit of compare and contrast, I guess. I mean, it was amazing. I felt so, it was just so fun, you know, like I had women in and out of my house every day. It was like a girl's night every day, (laughs) but like also like feeling so supported and like, you know, my house was always clean. I always had food, you know, like it was we, super hot. It, it was <laughs> a, much very, discomfort. very cold blooded. And I'm like, things are really warm. So postpartum, oh, it was like so hot. That was brutal. Yeah. She Especially had, half what month was it? April? She had like a fire going. We were all like sweating, but well, she like the women supporting me were pregnant. Yeah. So already running extra hot, but yeah, it was great. We like hang out and cook and well, you guys would cook and I would just lay there naked. I never put clothes on. Like I just mm-hmm. lay there naked and it was amazing. It was so fun. And it was so fun for us too. That's the other thing I want to say, because of course, a new baby, of course, your friend having a baby is so cute and fun and you want to see her, um, but serving it's like, it's like a peak woman sister friend um like love bubble you know like everyone wants to be a part of it you know it was like love bubble yeah totally (laughs) yeah it was so great it was so special anything else you want to say about it I guess we could go to yeah you stay in bed we all just love on you everyone's doing different stuff um, you know, we have one woman making food for their family. One woman's coming over and massaging your breasts and your womb and bringing you lavender lattes. lattes. <laughs> and Erica and I are just mostly laying in your bed, making you laugh. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, just whatever needed to happen. Um, yeah, it was just so wonderful for all of us. And knowing that this was like the first baby of mm-hmm our crew and Erica and I both being pregnant and so fun it was quite utopian set the bar high Mm -hmm. I mean there's but also it was so chill yeah and easy yeah like no one was spending money yeah you know yeah at six weeks um when I started kind of come out of my cave a little bit more we did a closing of the bones ceremony here in this room with everybody oh yeah (laughs) which was really cool and buried our buried our placenta uh, over on Moonspring, mm-hmm. and in the rain, in the rain, yeah. Your husband dug the hole. Yeah, I loved it. We used rainwater to clean your blood. That <laughs> was pretty yeah. sweet. <laughs> it was really special. And then, yeah, we kind of I used the festival as kind of like my re-entry into mm-hmm. society. It had been my three-month mark, mm-hmm. and I just kind of felt ready. And so that was kind of it was like so great to like come out 
back into the world, like surrounded by women over there, such a beautiful container. Seriously. Um, and of course I was still like, so supported, like where else would I be where I just, yeah, it was amazing. Oh, also what week postpartum were you when you moved to our yurt? Six. You were six weeks. Mm -hmm. So she had the Airbnb where she birthed and then everything just takes, you know, forever when we were trying to do stuff. And so we didn't even know if she was going to be able to move into the yurt or birth in the yurt, but it took six weeks. One of them, we have four on the property, but the very top one is now like a rental. And so her family moved into that and it's literally just up the hill from my house. So that was like, it just kept getting better and better because her daughter and my daughter could, you know, like me or Erica could go pick them up in the golf cart and take them to school while she's home with the baby resting. And just the whole thing was so fun. It was so fun. It was like summer camp. It was summer camp. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's still like that. It's really, really fun. Yeah. So, and then Javi started doing work like helping us and that was really fun to bring him in and get to know him in a much more integrated way because he was here so we were having meals together and that was a really nice flow of your Mm -hmm. postpartum yeah I'm excited to uh pay it forward for when you Mm -hmm. and Erica have your babies and anything you want to mention about the integration of the daughters or the sisters just that it was so simple you know I always hear about people like people's children being so emotional, the older ones being so emotional or having a lot of feelings about it, or maybe experiencing jealousy or frustration at not being the only child anymore. And, you know, we didn't really experience that at all. Luna loved her sister from day one and well, she ignored her for two weeks. She ignored her for two weeks just until I bathed her because she said that she smelled, <laughs> but she told her dad so that story. Yeah, so it was funny because at first Luna just like wasn't really interested at all. Like she wouldn't come near me. She wouldn't come near the baby. And but I not in a dramatic not in a dramatic way. way. She yeah. just wasn't interested. And I guess Javi was driving her to school and she said, Papa, it's because the baby smells. Do like, something. Almost like needing, like you got to do something about it. To be clear, you did not she didn't smell, smell, but not smell. as soon as I gave her her first bath, Luna started coming around. So. That's funny. Yeah. She's a very sensitive sense of smell. Yeah, I I was waiting. Like it kind of felt like I was waiting for the big emotion to come mm. through or like the big and then I just realized I was like, this is just it's just a gift. Like let it be a gift of peaceful mm-hmm. integration. And it was so easy and lovely and wonderful. And there was no there was no issue. And I think one of the big parts about that, I did really communicate with her when I was pregnant how things would be. Luna was being held too by all of you, you know, she was really supported. So I think that made a world of difference. Well, she like had a whole life going on here. Best social life ever. Totally. Yeah. So love it. It was great. What a great story. It was really perfect. Yeah. There's nothing that could have been better. Seriously. We see so many women have perfect babies and pretty good setups and still pathologize the whole situation looking for something to be wrong waiting for something to be wrong waiting for the other shoe to drop and it's like they're they're missing what's actually happening which is perfect yeah and and you know letting something be easy is a choice right we can let something be easy or not and so i'm just so glad that you had enough awareness in like such a peak 
you know, situation that we all co-created. Yeah. Let it be easy yeah. from start to finish. And then really. you don't have to like wait for something bad to happen. I mean, that's a real, mm-hmm. that's a real shift. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you. It's a fun way to start the season. Stay tuned. We have lots of more amazing episodes coming up. It's going to probably be shot all funny. Like some of these will be me super pregnant and then I just like won't be. (laughs) All right. Where can women find you? We've talked about your herbalism. We'll put links in the show notes, but if you just want to say anywhere that you want to shout out for where women can find you. Sure. Um, you can find me on Instagram at Ariel de Martinez or my website, ariel.demartinez.com. Hey. And that's it for today, my sisters. Check out everything we do, including one-on-one and group coaching. Learn about our private membership, in-person retreats, and more on freebirthsociety.com. Our online courses are on freebirthsocietycourses.com, including our flagship course, The Complete Guide to Free Birth. Don't miss the Radical Birthkeeper School if you're ready to become the authentic midwife that women are searching for. Together we rise and the revolution starts inside each of us. I'll leave you with our Free Birth Society theme song, Wild Woman by Aruba Red. I honor you for the wisdom you held, the ancient traditions of plant medicine and womb magic. I feel the spirit of the ancestors as I place my hands upon my belly. This sacred portal will be honored. Eons upon light beams of survival withstanding the eradication of our power by design. I will not allow the separation of our young to be forced upon me. My sisters will no longer birth in captivity. The picket line redefined from burning our wild women to paralyzing us and drugging our babes. Strapped down in a clinical white bed, drying up the milk from our breasts, keep your needles. My family will never again be doomed to chase those dragons or your poison. We reject your fear. We choose love. Everything with intention. Death, ascension. I will fly and bring her back from